It is time for us to begin our Friday version of the Midday Program here on KRVN. A bright Friday it is. Thank you so much for joining us. Lots of things to talk about, as always, here on the big program. And, uh, of course, Midday is... Our midday program is, is really all about getting you the information that we're going to be getting you. I remember being a, being in speech, and they said when you give a speech, you're supposed to tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and tell them what you told them. So we're going to take care of all of those things here today. At least that's our plan anyway. Let's start it off with Susan Littlefield. What do you got for us? for my daughter Morgan today. Here's what's happening on the midday from the farm team. Of course, weather's going to be the hot topic. Are we going to see some frost? Unlike the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, supposed to get some sizable amount of snow Mother's Day. We're going to get all the details of the Midwest weather coming up with Al Dutcher and Shaley Peters at 1219. Then at 1245, Kansas State University's wheat expert joins us as he and I talk about what type of damage we've been seeing in this wheat crop from that cold snap in Kansas just two short weeks ago and then everything wraps up at 117 as rebel comes in to share the story about the sandhills heritage museum that's in dunning nebraska and that's a friday have a great weekend from the farm team all right thank you so much susan and and happy last day for morgan and uh, i certainly feel for feel for all the seniors right now Uh, my daughter michelle had her last day she checked out yesterday so uh yeah it's really it's really something. Let's turn it over to Jason and see what he's got going on for us today. Hey, thanks, Scott. Well, college athletic departments continue to play the waiting game, really not knowing what the future will possibly look like later on this fall. Coming up at sports, we'll hear from UNK Athletic Director Mark Bauer, who says universities hope to learn more from the NCAA later on this month. Also, the NFL last night released their schedules and interesting matchup of the opening weekend you have tom brady making his tampa debut on the road at new orleans against drew Brees. it'll be the first time in nfl history that two quarterbacks on the wrong side of 40 will start in a matchup and the news continues to look bleak kansas and its men's basketball program as they are certainly feeling the heat these days from the ncaa all of that and much more is coming up in sports all right thank you so much jason boy i, I mentioned this earlier fun rewind matchup tonight on sports nightly as 1978 nebraska takes on oklahoma in a football game that uh, bob brogan probably remembers a little bit of do you Probably. Which year was that? 78. 78. Tom Sorley, Billy Sims, when we finally beat Oklahoma. I I remember yep. the game, but I don't believe I was there in person. No, I wasn't there in person, but I, I remember the game very well. It was a cold day in northeast Nebraska. For that. And wasn't the, the Billy Sims fumbled? Yes. That's right. See, you got it, man. Good job. Well, we know you know your football. How are you on business right now? I don't know. I... <laughs> But uh, that's co- quite a segue there. there Wall Street uh, rallying again in spite of bad econom- economic news. The S&P 500 up 1.1% in early trading after the government said employers cut 20.5 million jobs last month. Not uh, That doesn't sound good. That's a record, but it's also slightly less than the markets had braced for. So um, it's like uh, finding uh, the cleanest, dirty shirt that you've got in the closet. <laughs> There you go. That's all coming up on Midday. Well, time for us to check in on our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins steps in here on a Friday. Paul, I was uh, watching a little bit of the Weather Channel, and they were talking about 
for our friends in the northeastern part in the northern part of the United States, a polar vortex. Exactly. Uh, some locations across the Midwest and Northeast U.S. could see some of the coldest temperatures they've ever seen during the month of May wow. tomorrow morning. So, uh. yeah, definitely a cold blast. We're just going to get a sideswipe of yes. that cold. But, you know, it always seems we have one last spurt of winter in the month of may a little fit by winter that Mm -hmm. says hey i'm still around not gone for good yet and when we have that period of some cooler temperatures especially around graduation time sometimes oh yeah and then then after mid-may it's gone well this is the and you've you've coined the phrase the the uh, tug of tug of war between summer and winter but this is the one last big pull <laughs> exactly. by winter before it goes into the mud in the middle of the thing. And so. Usually, I, I always think after mid-May, you're pretty safe, and it looks right. like that will be the case once again this year. So. just got to get there. <laughs> just got to get there. All right. Right now, we do have those cool temperatures hanging on. Upper 40s to low 50s, pretty much region-wide. A lot of us enjoying lots of sunshine, just some puffy clouds starting to pop up over far southwest Nebraska, the southern Nebraska panhandle into northeast Colorado. And we do have temperatures into the low 40s, though, still in the southern portions of the Nebraska panhandle. Our temperatures today about 5 to 10 degrees below average, but sunshine on the way and will we'll continue today as high pressure continues to settle in from the Pacific. Breezy northerly winds gradually decreasing through the afternoon. Increasing clouds and some southerly breezes helping to prevent a frost for tonight when overnight lows dip down into the 30s. Our highs tomorrow pretty much the same as what we're going to see today. Rain will be a possibility with the cold front. The moisture, though, will be limited in any rain totals on the light side. A frost or freeze is likely by Sunday morning, so make sure you do get things covered up for tomorrow night and get those garden hoses attached and everything like that because we will see some clearing skies and lighter winds and temperatures dipping down to around or just below freezing in many locations. Not expecting a hard freeze, but a freeze probably likely in many locations getting down into the low 30s. Our Mother's Day will be sunny, but temperatures 10 degrees below normal. Small chances of rain and snow are back for Sunday night into Monday night. And note that I did say that snow word. Once again, Sunday night into Monday night, if it does get cold enough, there is a better chance of rain and thunderstorms. And this is going to be just rain and thunderstorms Monday night through Tuesday night, but not expecting significant rain or strong to severe weather. Our temperatures gradually rising to near seasonal by Thursday. In the long-term forecast, the Nebraska and Kansas temperatures in the middle of next week, slightly cooler than normal, but seasonal or near-normal temperatures then take hold late next week through May 21st. Now, during the middle of May, central Nebraska average highs are in the low 70s, with average overnight lows in the upper 40s. Above normal rainfall predicted for Wednesday through May 21st for Nebraska and Kansas and much of the U.S. So temperatures four inches down at seven this morning from Ord into northeast Nebraska as low as the low 40s. The rest of Nebraska with soil temperatures in the mid to upper 40s, nearly all of Kansas, with the soil temperatures right now, or today in the low 50s this morning, extreme southern Kansas with the warmest soil temperatures in the mid-50s. Key weather factors impacting the markets include a freeze in the Midwest to start the weekend and continued rain chances in southern Brazil and the Black Sea region. Widespread freezes occurred this morning across the northern Corn Belt from the Dakotas to Wisconsin, 
Crop emergence, though, is slow despite some rapid planting in those areas. Freeze warnings in effect for tomorrow morning across a broad area of the Midwest, as well as the Mid-Atlantic, the Central and Southern Appalachians, and much of Kentucky and Tennessee. For some locations, tomorrow morning's low temperatures could be the lowest ever observed during the month of May. Midwest cold temperatures also could could threaten the to damage soft red winter wheat and delay the emergence of planted corn and soybeans. In southern plains wheat areas, mainly light to moderate rain is expected. Even in some drier western areas, temperatures will trend much below normal, including the chance of a frost, a hard freeze though not predicted. Southern Brazil rain chances continue to increase this next week. The highest chances in the second and third largest corn producing areas. Black Sea wheat areas of Russia and Ukraine expect favorable moderate rain through the weekend, the upcoming weekend rain, in addition to some recent rainfall of one to two inches. Well, I, I, I remember when I was teaching in Gothenburg, so this was lots of years ago, but, but it was the last day for teachers, so not even the <laughs> last day for students, but the last day for teachers, and in fact, we were going to go out and golf afterwards and it snowed a lot in the morning we had to wait for it to get warm and melt the snow before we could golf yeah you just never know what you, you don't. Can get exactly and so this tomorrow night probably one of our coldest nights okay. over the next seven nights uh so make sure you do take some precautions in the event of a freeze uh get those plants covered and all those other precautions because we'll probably hear of a freeze warning for tomorrow okay well hopefully uh, sunday morning crops haven't emerged enough that it'll cause a ton of damage exactly luckily we're not looking at a hard freeze yeah yeah absolutely all right thank you paul i appreciate it where do you go to check in on your weather weather tab krvn.com It's time again this week for our weekly weather outlook. I'm Shaylee Peters, and we've got a guest in this week for Al Dutcher. It's Tyler Williams, Ag Climate and Weather Extension Educator with the University of Nebraska Extension. And Tyler, uh, we're going to have you fill in for Al this week, as I mentioned, and just give us an update. There's been a lot of rumors floating around here in the middle of May that we could see some frost coming into the forecast. What can we expect headed into this weekend and next week? Yeah, so that's, uh, you know, it's, it's not terribly uncommon to have frost this time of year, but we're starting to push in there. You know, we're definitely in the latter half of our climatologically last uh, day of having temperatures below 32. And um, a lot of Nebraska will see uh, below that, if not uh, much below that, as you get out into the panhandle. And, you know, we've been kind of stuck in this cool pattern for the last few days, and it's we're going to kind of hit the peak of the, of the cool weather here over the next couple days and then hopefully move on past that. But but the bulk of the yeah the bulk of the uh, frost risk is is probably tomorrow morning. So we're looking at Saturday morning and even into Sunday morning, uh, especially in the Panhandle. But you'll see temps uh, you know drop near that freezing area. So you'll see frost risk probably all across the state of Nebraska, even in southeast Nebraska, especially in some of those uh, low lying areas. Um, anything north and west of probably Kearney's, probably uh, uh, almost. Almost guarantee you're going to see some frost at least some uh, Saturday morning or Sunday morning. So those places really need to be looking for that. Um, but the nice thing is, is after about Monday morning, uh, maybe even into Tuesday morning, we do start to warm back up a little bit. And a um, few chances of moisture has kind of come with that. But you notice that we haven't really been getting a really heavy rainfall events that we typically see this time of the year. Um, so, but that's going to change uh, middle of next week. So uh, if we, as we look ahead to most of next week, like I said, we'll start cool. Uh, we'll gradually warm throughout most of the week. Uh, won't be a strong warm up as the pattern sort of flattens out. We kind of transition from air coming from the northwest 
to start the week, and by the end of next week, we'll start to see the air coming from the southwest. And that's really when things will start to change and start to slowly warm back up. But So most of next week, just in, in a nutshell, it's kind of cool to uh, maybe just near normal uh, multiple precipitation chances, but none of them will really be heavy because we lack that southern flow to bring up the moisture. And, and things really start to, to pick up and turn around the end of next week. And on that, let's look out just a little bit further in the forecast. I know the further out we get, the harder it is for you guys to predict. A lot of things can change. But uh, we do have, since we've had great planting weather, we do have a lot of crops up out of the ground. So if we can get through uh, this potential freezing weather, do we see more of a warm-up coming into play, help these crops really take off? Yeah, so if we can dodge the frost the next few days, um, get to the middle of the end of next week, uh, the temperature pattern for the rest of the month, you know, the last, the last two weeks of the month looks, looks quite favorable for, for rapid crop growth. Um, you know, temperatures are, are expected to be near to above normal as we start to let the air kind of comes from the south again. Um, we'll also have access to a, a lot of moisture from the Gulf. Uh, dew points will finally ramp back up in the 50s and 60s, which is where we need it for heavy precipitation, uh, but also for severe weather. Um, you know, anytime you start to get that, that sort of pattern, this is our uh, prime pattern for severe weather in the middle part of the country, and it comes at a time when we have uh, sort of our climatologically, uh, you know, most severe weather happens this time of the year. So all of the stars are aligning for, for warm, um, heavy rainfall, severe weather type events um, over the next, you know, starting basically kind of the 18th, 19th of May and running through, you know, the week following. All right, thanks so much. Filling in again this week for Al Dutcher, it's Tyler Williams, Ag Climate and Weather Extension Educator with the University of Nebraska Extension. You're listening to the Rural Video Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Well, college athletic departments continue to play the waning game when it comes to knowing what their futures might look like. UNK Athletic Director Mark Bowers says the Lopers hope to know more later this month. We've been told May 20th we'll be coming out with some emergency legislation. We have no idea what that's going to look like, but this is very unprecedented as well. Whatever they say is going to go into effect immediately. We do believe that there potentially is going to be some uh, limits put on the number of competitions in the fall semester, which may mean doing away with some non-con games, potentially. Our conference has already sat down and started looking at all of the sports. Now, the hope is that if students are allowed back on campus this fall, that would be a big step in getting athletic competitions fired up again later this year. The NFL has released its fall schedule. One of the highlights of the opening weekend will have Tom Brady's regular season debut with Tampa Bay against Drew Brees at New Orleans on September 13th. Believe it or not, but that will be the first matchup of age 40-plus quarterbacks in NFL history. The defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs will host the Houston Texans in the NFL's traditional Thursday night season opener. That's set for September 10th. Things continue to look bad for KU basketball. Yesterday, the NCAA struck back of the Jayhawks and its men's basketball program, calling five Level 1 violations that are alleged to have occurred egregious and arguing that they undermine and threaten college athletics. Was the 
latest in a series of back-and-forth filings that sets up a likely infraction hearing. The case came out of an FBI investigation into college basketball. It centers on whether two Adidas representatives were acting as boosters for the Jayhawks when they paid prospective recruits to try to lure them to the program. Nebraska volleyball coach John Cook has announced the addition of Missouri transfer Kayla Caffey to the Huskers roster. Caffey's a six-foot middle blocker. She completed two seasons with the Tigers and earned her bachelor's degree and will be a graduate transfer of the Huskers this fall with two years of eligibility remaining. And two of the biggest names in golf in the NFL will square off for a televised golf match to raise $10 million for COVID relief. May 24th event to be simulcast on TNT and TBS will feature Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning taking on Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady. The match will be held in Florida. That's sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. Nebraska Extension is a current program for kids who aren't getting PE in a school building to still get that exercise. Hannah Genther, food, nutrition, health, extension educator for Cumming County, says it's also a way to keep kids and parents accountable. You know, not only are we all responsible for our kids' schoolwork, but it is we are responsible for their physical activity as well. And so this has just been a great way as our kids, the kids print off a mileage log or Charlotte, my daughter, she does a mileage chain. So every time she runs a mile, she gets to add a a link to her chain. And it's just a great way they actually are excited. It's like, when do I get to go track my miles? Or when when do we get to go on our walk or our run? Genther says kids can do an activity such as dance during a rainy day when being outdoors isn't an option. Learn more about the program by searching Nebraska Extension Marathon Kids on Facebook. Education leaders are eager to determine ways that school buildings can reopen for learning this fall under coronavirus guidelines. The State Department of Education has launched a website called Launch Nebraska to establish such protocols. Education Commissioner Matt Bloomstead says one topic covered is conditions for learning. Um, really being thoughtful um, uh, about how that comes together and how our ultimately our continuity of learning plans will come together. So if we are disrupted in any type of way, how we're using technology and how we're using best practices ultimately. Another topic is professional learning and resources that they are beginning to develop. In fact, starting I think as soon as next week, we're, we're moving forward with, with webinar series on how teachers can really be effective in the online learning environment and how they can deal with a lot of different topics, including social-emotional learning and how we can build those resources collectively. The Launch Nebraska website can be located at launchne.com. During Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts' Thursday COVID-19 news conference, Labor Commissioner John Albin was asked about people who say they filed for unemployment compensation but have yet received any payments. I think we're getting a passing grade. We'd like to pay it faster. I'm sure those that are waiting would like to be paid faster, but that's our numbers. Albin said the Labor Department has processed 81% of claims received since March 1st and paid 70%. Well, Tyson Foods plans to reopen its Dakota City, Nebraska beef plant after closing the facility following a surge of coronavirus cases among workers. Tyson closed the plant last week and initially planned to reopen in four days, but pushed that back to Thursday after awaiting coronavirus test results. The plant employs 4,300 people and is among the largest employers for neighboring Sioux City, Iowa. For more news anytime, go to krvn.com. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Austin Jacobson.
Livestock producers continue to adapt as best they can. I'm Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. And today we're going to hear from a pork producer from Marshall, Minnesota. It's Mike Borum. He was recently part of a panel put on by Farm Credit. He was on the panel with a cattle producer and a poultry producer. The point of the panel was to look at the COVID-19 impacts on the livestock industry, more specifically our producers who find themselves in a unique position right now. Borum first talks about the changes they've had to implement since the pandemic really started to hit the U.S. Well, the, the impact um, for us has been on a couple fronts, with the first being human health. We have 45 employees, 40 contract growers. Um, health is a priority, and we, we've taken actions to increase social distancing, uh, mitigate the risks of virus spreading, followed CDC recommendations, and then, um, but as part of critical infrastructure, our operations uh, day-to-day have have generally continued as normal. Pigs need to be fed, feed needs to be made, livestock needs to be cared for, Uh, animal welfare is is always, as as a pig farmer, is always priority number one. So so in general, things have continued as normal. Uh, On the other front, the, the closure of packing plants over the last few weeks has has crippled our ability to operate as, as a supply chain. So the pig cycle operates continually. Um, the pigs that are being sold right now came from sows that were bred about 10 months ago. Uh, so from conception, from the time a pig is bred until the time the pig is marketed, there's about 10 months of time. So if we look back over the last 10 months, we have sows bred, pigs in process from, from every stage of production. So when a piglet is born, it nurses on the sow for about 21 days in our system. Then we move those pigs to a nursery where they spend six to seven weeks. From nursery, they move to a finisher where they spend about 16 to 17 weeks. And then from there, they move to market. Well, over the course of the past few weeks, we've lost our ability to market and started to create a backlog. And this, the sows continue to farrow, pigs continue to be weaned. Um, and then at the same time, the market pigs that we do have have gotten larger and larger. And, and at some point here, they're going to hit, if, if we're not able to market, they're going to hit a point where they're too large for the supply chain and we're going to face euthanasia. So bringing that all together, um, we have about 9,000 market hogs that are backlogged right now. We've taken some actions on our sow farms to reduce output to try and create space in the supply chain. But, but by no means have we been able to, uh, to, to, to alleviate the backlog of those 9,000 head. In addition, prices have plummeted. Um, you can't even really sell a live pig right now. The, uh, an example I use is the, the buying stations are, are being locked at night so that nobody drops pigs off. I think that speaks to the, to the value of, of what a pig is. Uh, fortunately, sure I was able to sell some last week for $41 a pig. And, and that, that made me happy. But we still yeah. were facing about a $100 loss on those pigs sold. So the impacts um, have been crazy, unprecedented, and, and nothing we could have imagined. Washington has worked to get legislation in place to support agriculture. The Small Business Administration announced Monday eligibility for agricultural businesses in the SBA's Economic Injury Disaster Loans and Advance Programs. And Borbum says while they are thankful, it's not enough. I, I'm thankful for what has been done by the USDA, Congress, and, and the administration so far. 
Um, I'm pretty sure my statements with with I appreciate what's been done, but it's not nearly enough. Um, put things into perspective, the the CPAP program that USDA released a few weeks ago uh, was a you know billion dollar program. I think 1.6 billion dollars allocated to, to pork. However, payments are caps at $125,000 per commodity um, per producer. So to put that in perspective, our payment on hogs would be about $125,000. I referenced earlier that we're backed up on, on marketing about 9,000. The normal value of those pigs is $1.26 million. So we're, we're, we're trying to put a, a bandaid on a knife wound here and it, it's just not going to cut it. Um, we estimate that our operation directly supports over a hundred families. So it's, it's been, a, and like I said before, I have my five immediate family members in here involved in the operation, my parents, my siblings, um, employees that have worked for us for 25 years, contract growers that have worked with us for 30 years. And, and right now all of that is in jeopardy and, and I'm, we're just one operation. This is replicated from county to county, from town to town, uh, across rural America. And, and, and we need more action than, than that. Uh, the, the, the payment cap needs to be raised or, or else this crisis long-term is only going to get worse. Uh, the last thing I'll add too is we did participate in the PPP program and, and those funds are, are helpful. But from a cost of production standpoint, about 5% of our, uh, of our cost is labor. The rest of it, as, as Butch, you indicated, is overhead, fixed costs. And then the other huge component, 65 or 60%, is uh, is feed. And animals have to be fed every day. We, we're not a factory. We can't just shut things down and come back in six weeks and pick them back up again. We have to continue to feed every single day. Again, hearing from Mike Borbum. He is a pork producer from Marshall, Minnesota, as he sat in on a farm credit service panel looking at the COVID-19 impacts on livestock producers. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Bureau. With the business report for this Friday, I'm Bob Brogan. Wall Street is rallying again in spite of bad economic news. The S&P 500 was up 1.1% in early trading after the government said employers cut 20.5 million jobs last month. That's a record, but it's also slightly less than markets had braced for. Traders are increasingly betting they won't see another report that bad again because the number of workers filing for unemployment benefits has been slowly declining the last five weeks. Stocks around the world were already heading higher before the U.S. jobs report came out, in part on hopes that the U.S. and China won't restart their trade war. The U.S. unemployment rate hit 14.7% in April, the highest rate since the Great Depression. The figures are stark evidence of the damage the coronavirus has done to a now-shattered economy. The losses reflect what has become a severe recession caused by sudden business shutdowns in nearly every industry. Almost all the job growth achieved during the 11-year recovery from the Great Recession has now been lost in one month. Top Democrats are promising that smaller cities and towns won't be left behind in the next coronavirus relief bill. A top Democrat says the bill will contain money for each county in the U.S., along with an equal amount of funding for municipalities. 
the expansion of federal assistance could cost hundreds of billions of dollars. A Chinese state news agency says U.S. and Chinese trade negotiators promised to create favorable conditions for carrying out a truce in their government's tariff war during a phone call. The call followed a threat by President Donald Trump to pull out of the agreement if Beijing fails to buy more American goods and services in exchange for Washington suspending planned tariff hikes. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Rogan. According to the last census, Dunning, Nebraska is home to 103 residents and sits in Blaine County, the sixth least populous county in the United States. Dunning is also home to the Sandhills Heritage Museum. I'm visiting with Linda T. Hahn, an individual who played an integral role in the preservation of Sandhills history in the museum. To start, tell us a little bit about the museum. The idea of a museum began with a local group of volunteers in, in 2000. Several locations were used to store items being donated. The McMullen family of Dunning stepped up and donated the home state bank in downtown Dunning. Finally, the Sandhills Heritage Museum was opened Memorial Day weekend of 2017. Within the museum is the Hereford Crossroads exhibit. What kind of feedback have you gotten from people who have visited the museum and gotten to look through all of the exhibits? People are very, very interested in history, and especially those that have a Blaine County um, relationship dating back many years, many generations. Um, a lot of people are donating items to us because they have nowhere else to go with these things, um, and they want it to be preserved. So we have more items pictures, um, high school annuals, let's mention that too, uh, the schools of the area, that uh, people want that preserved somewhere. And we are running out of room. We have so many items that are being donated. Uh, history of Blaine County is very, very interesting with the, with the rivers that flow through and the railroad uh, that travels through Blaine County. There's so much rich history in the museum. What has been your favorite piece of information or exhibit that you've stumbled upon in the last few years? Well, I grew up in a little community called Cottonwood on the north edge of Blaine County. And um, I'm one of the last people that attended that, that one-room school. And so I've been able to preserve some of that history from people that I either went to school with or... Uh, people just a little older than myself that have donated. And if we don't preserve that history, it will soon be lost. And there's so many other communities that were in Blaine County that um, people just are not aware of. We had a lot of people homesteading in Blaine County. And um, that history, we need to preserve it so future generations can enjoy it. Bouncing off of that, why do you think the preservation of Sandhills history is so important? I feel that it's important because we need to know where we came from as before we can figure out where we're going to. Our, our heritage is uh, quite unique in the Sand Hills. People endured a lot of hardships when they homesteaded in the Sand Hills. And uh, Blaine County was very active. Uh, the, there was a lot of stores in, in Brewster and Dunning. Uh, Purdom was very active. They even had a little band up there in 1910. And um, people had to travel a distance to get their mail, uh, to get their supplies. And uh, where we were right in the center of the state, 
there was a lot of lot of visitors uh, going through uh, through our area, and that holds true today because Highway Two travels from Alliance to Grand Island, and uh, we have a lot of people traveling along the river. Once again, I'm visiting with Linda Tihan about the Sand Hills Heritage Museum, which is open from Memorial Day to Labor Day, Friday through Sunday, or by appointment. From the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Rebel Seclocha on the Rural Radio Network. Network, and I'm talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. And John, as we take a look here at the closing markets for a Friday, maybe not as strong as we saw yesterday, but wheat was able to come back around. Little profit-taking brings corn and soybeans lower. Are traders still feeling a little bit bullish with this freeze this weekend? Oh, I don't know. You know, you, you think potentially what could be on the horizon, at least in the short term with demand. Um, I think that's the big story of the week, I guess, would be, you know, the return of the Chinese demand, or at least the optimism that's there. You know, you certainly don't want to have that story get anything worse in the near term. So, I think as we go into, you know, May, we're a weather rally and, uh, you know, a decent demand story away from, you know, seeing some you know, 10-15% rally maybe, but you're not seeing any export price movement right now. We're at $150 at the ports. That's $20 cheaper than where we were at the March delivery. You know, there's just not there's just not a lot of appetite here, even at these prices. Um, so, you know, I, I think rallies are quick lived. If you get a chance to say, you know, sell ten percent higher in corn, you got to take it in the near term. You know, and they got to have targets out there. It'll be really hard to sell when you when we move up. I'm sure that's something that you've heard over and over again. But the psychology of this in the short term is pretty difficult. Okay, let's say we do get the freeze this weekend. Going back into next week, then, as far as planning is ahead, we're still per early in the season. There's a pretty good chance a lot of this crop could get reseeded. Does that play into traders' mindsets at all? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think that, that matters. I think the idea here would be that next week early is that the acreage is going to be high. The USDA sees it that way. You know, I would be, I wouldn't be shocked to see like a quick sh- shot lower than we, you know, as you and I speak next Friday, see things... Um, you know, a little bit better. So, I think you got to be fast. And you look at a market like cattle this morning; it just trades on a dime. No, no idea when it's going to happen. Just, it's it's really like rolling dice. As we start to roll in, anything to be suspect over the weekend? Watching for certain data to come out or anything? No, not really. I think just watching to see what's going to happen with China. I think so. Oh, you know the weather in the short run, and then hopefully you can see some some you know COVID type stuff improve. And I think that's the the optimism here that we're going to start moving as a society quicker. And I think of, of anything that needs to happen in the next couple of of days, weeks, that's it. You know, without that, I think we're all you know fighting on the margin. So that's the big issue. Again, we're talking with John Payne, senior marketing analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago. Published a newsletter this week in Grain. Their website, danielsagmarketing.com. Do remember, trading futures and options does involve risk of loss. May not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. All but two contracts in Chicago. Wait, we're able to end the grains in the green. And that will do it for our midday program here on KRVN. If you missed anything or want to hear any of our interviews, You can listen to the Midday Podcast at krvn.com or by subscribing to our Midday Podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Our Midday Podcast is brought to you by Deveni Motors. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Deveni Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram and McCook. 
When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to Davini Chrysler Jeep Dodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Davini deal.